Guys, we are episode 18 of the Four Lifters by Lifters podcast, and uh, this week we have Colin Whitney, owner of Powerbold, and was it Whitney Strength? Yeah, Whitney Strength Performance is like the coaching aspect. Yeah. Coaching. They're two separate businesses? Yeah. Started with like the coaching, and then the Powerbold gym came later. Okay. Uh, so I think the first thing would be like to dig into your background a little bit. I know you were military. Yep. So I did Air Force Reserves. Did that for like five and a half years. Um, yeah, it was it was good for the time I was in it. Yeah. Aircraft structural maintenance. Went in for reserves. I was thinking, like, thinking, you know, get some schooling, just get out of the town I was in. I'm from Schuylkill County, so I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with that, but not a whole lot going on. So way to get out, do something different. Knew I wanted to go to school or something afterwards. So yeah, it was good. Good experiences, learned a lot, but yeah, got into school, Penn State Berks after that, did like two and a half years, I did Canise, then I switched to criminal justice, all while I did like personal training certifications and stuff like that, I started doing that like years prior, and then uh, yeah, then I dropped out of school, just started working full time, I was working full time the entire time I was in school as well, but yeah, and then we just kind of got into the whole coaching and powerlifting thing and here we are but i have a friend with a uh i graduated from penn state and yeah. uh, i have a friend with a five-year kinese degree and uh he actually i moved to california after college and he had, he didn't have anything going on so he's like i'll move out there all right and uh he went around looking for jobs and they're like your degree is the equivalent of a personal training certificate yeah and uh he was in a hundred and like twenty thousand dollars worth of debt so them saying that to him just absolutely crushed him yeah, no, and, that, and that's what I was, like, talking to a lot of people because at this point I was already, like, training a good – like, not not a ton of clients, probably, like, 15 or 20, but school was almost, like, hindering how many people I could handle. And yeah. I was just, like, the Kines degree, what am I going to do with that? It was just – I was kind of spread thin at that point too. So just put all my chips on the training table just kept working i was like a gnc it's a gnc manager just kind of doing that whole thing for a little while but you can yeah. actually make pretty good money doing that yeah it was good i mean nice thing for me it was like you're in gnc people are coming in there you're talking about supplements and training leads into you know potential clients that's kind of hey. how a lot of it started rolling and then also like being at warhouse gym a lot of people you know are into it there so or were maybe yeah, I feel like the timing for you was pretty good with that. Yeah. So you, you did coach Dana and Bailey, right? Yeah. So I worked with Dana when she did her powerlifting for like that year, year and a half or so. Um, because I came really good friends with Austin. So he's like the right hand man. Okay. And he was getting into training. She was kind of like falling out of the bodybuilding thing, just not taking it as serious, you know, competitively. Still training, obviously, but, you know. She's competitive, so once she's seen kind of us getting into the competitions, she wanted to do the same thing, so I helped her out for a little while. She did well for just kind of jumping in, but... What do you what do you do with somebody that has a bodybuilding background like that and they want to power lift? They're, they're easy because, yeah. like, they already have, like, the high work capacity. I mean, most of them know their body really well, so when you're giving them cues or any type of, like, you know technical advice like it's usually it makes sense to them takes like a, a session and they're like yeah it's good 
So that's that's the nice thing. Like, you know, anyone who's bodybuilding or any just type of like athlete, it's usually pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. She did well, right? Like, she did, yeah. She her first meet she did you know, it was local. She won like best lifter. I, f- I forget like some of the numbers, but 300 some squat, 200 bench, mid threes on deadlift. Um, and I mean, she qualified. So she went to nationals and then through nationals qualified for the Arnold. So in the USAPL, I mean, those are like the two biggest meets, like getting the raw nationals, pretty cool. Yeah. And then uh, the Arnold's actually pretty tough to qualify for. And she did that her first time. So. Yeah, some people just have it like yeah. that. You can tell even with her bodybuilding. You know, she it was so fast for her to mm-hmm. get to the top. So it's a yeah. She was just an athlete. That's I mean, I think she's college soccer. So, but I feel translates. like uh, like her coaching you kind of put or you coaching her kind of like put you on the map a little bit. Yeah, you know that's how we knew who you were uh, yep. just from social media and that kind of stuff. Um, all right, so you did coaching and stuff at Warhouse for a couple years? Yeah. So, well, at first I just trained, um, and then that, that's how, you know, met a lot of clients and kind of through just training there myself. And then eventually I was managing it year and a half or so. Again, that's where I kind of like, like more clients. Every, I'm there every day, all day. So yeah. more and more people were coming through. Powerlifting at that time there was like, that's how it kind of like took over for a little while. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. But yeah. So that's where you learned how to run a gym? Yeah. Oh yeah. Ton of good experience there. Obviously Warhouse is a big if I don't know if anyone you guys you've been there, I'm assuming. Yeah, I actually haven't. Really? No, I, have you been there? No. It's uh, big. It's like commercial size, but it's like, you know, kinda like powerlifting, like hardcore bodybuilding. So you know, very cool, but also so much goes wrong. So you figure out along the way, like all the do's and don'ts. So now like transitioning into my own, I mean, it's like a walk in the park yeah. initially is a little different. Cause I like started it, but right. now it's just like the management and everything like that is super easy. So yeah, great experience for sure. You know, outside of coronavirus, I feel like you came into the gym scene at such a great time you know the the corporate stuff's finally starting to to correct itself i feel like uh, yeah. you know people are starting to walk away from that environment and they realize it's not really conducive for building a strong or a, you know a strong body or a great physique yeah uh you know i feel like there's a lot of bait and switch in there for the last you know 15 years mm-hmm. and uh so we're seeing a lot of people leave the the big corporate stuff and go to the smaller private gyms you know the community's better the competitiveness is a lot better so i feel like it was good good timing for you yeah yeah i think like the smaller niche gyms are starting to pop up more and more and like have success yeah people you know i mean like they're realizing if you really want to succeed in whether it's bodybuilding or powerlifting, being in the environment, you know, that's appropriate for that makes a huge difference. I mean, you just walk in an LA fitness and it's just like crickets. It's like you're afraid to even like speak aloud. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not to mention, it's just, I don't know it's- the equipment. If you're, you know, I hate to be like the, the powerlifter who needs like all the certain equipment, but at this point, you know, you get spoiled. You're like, you want the certain, you know, the power bars and the kilo plates and the combo racks and like commercial gyms. I mean, they have what they have. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's not like you can't train the right way in there. It's just not optimal, I guess you could say. Yeah. Plus, like, 
you know, on the previous podcast, we, we were talking like West side versus like regular training. And, uh, you know, my argument is it's, it's not really the training methodologies, but it's the environment. Yeah. Right. And how important oh, yeah. that is. Yep. And, uh, you know, you, you just, you can't get that at LA fitness. And even no. if you try to duplicate it there, they're going to kick you out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't want it there. So, you know that, yeah, I think just surrounding yourself with the right people. I mean, it's every day in, in our gym, it's like, it feel not quite like a meat day, but somewhat similar. Like it's just like the energy. That's what I was trying to tell everyone. It's just like, there's just different energy here. It almost looks like you guys are having like a party. Yeah. All yeah, the time. Like a lifting party. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> and it's like every, it feels like you're almost, it has that team aspect. Cause like if you just walk through those doors, you you're on the team essentially. So everyone's like rooting for you. If you need to work in with somebody, you can work in with somebody. If you need to spot there, there's a handful of people in there that are willing to do so. So just, I don't know, the, just the energy, it's cohesive. It's, it's I assume been, that was your goal from like yeah. day one, right? Yeah. I mean, because that's like, that's what we had at Warhouse at one time. It was just like an energy in there. It, you know, kind of went away as things kind of unfold, but yeah, it was definitely, cause I know like that's what makes the difference between like my gym and any other gym because like there's a lot of like potentially cool gyms with like good equipment and this and that so to separate yourself there has to be like that element that it has to be like organic you yeah. can't just like buy it yeah yeah when uh when you were building out your gym what was some of the stuff that you knew you wanted in there um i knew i wanted to obviously have like the competition powerlifting equipment just because looking around the area there was only like really one other gym like dan's and he's yeah. like in philly yeah um that has you know combo racks kilo plates you know pa uh, competition bars so i knew like that would be one thing that would separate us from a lot of other gyms because like there's some other smaller niche like strength training I don't know. They're like they almost like seem like strongman CrossFit in the area. Might be more athletic training. Yeah, like athletic training, but like powerlifting wise, like I know just even having a few combo racks, kilo plates, all the right bars, like that alone is gonna grab the attention of like the powerlifting community. And then I also wanted to have, you know, some machines like the hammer strength stuff, like all of the stuff that like if you're a hardcore bodybuilder, like you're gonna be looking for. Cause that's kind of how I started. I was like not competitive bodybuilding, but like that was what I thought I was going to do. It's initially what I got into. Yeah. So I want to make sure like we could support both. Obviously I lean a little bit more towards the powerlifting and that's kind of where the gyms gravitated towards. But, um, yeah, just after you've been around certain gyms and been training for so long, like there's just like certain pieces. So I got the powerlifting stuff like to start, like a lot of that was new, like just on rogue. I, I got what I was going to get. But then like after that, I would like, scan facebook marketplace every day all yeah. day i was like i i think i have like a equipment addiction because like you know there's like certain pieces that you like maybe have used throughout your time training you're like I, I need that here so i would like just pick and choose and that's also just like i think smart and, and like that's the way we had to do it money wise it's like i didn't have help so it was just like slowly adding pieces along right. the way and like building the gym up to where it is now where it's like maximize like every square inch can't really can't fit anything else in it which is you know is what it is can you bodybuild in there like do you have anybody that oh yeah like yeah. we actually had a kid um his name's alex toplin he's a monster oh yeah yeah I, he just turned pro I just think. turned ifb yeah. pro he contacted us like 
right as we had opened up, I probably made like a video on Instagram and like email exploded with like people trying to get in because like if you're a serious lifter, like the the gym shutting down thing was like the worst thing that could happen. And he was, I guess, like middle of prep, gym shut down on him. So like we got him in there and then, uh, yeah, he ended up being able to train literally throughout like almost his whole prep. I think there was a few weeks there where he wasn't able to, but like, yeah, he got his IFBB pro card and like a majority of his training was at power build. And I think another gym nearby, but, um, yeah, I don't know. We've, and we've had a, we've had quite a few like competitive bodybuilders, male and female that train there. So it's been pretty cool. Like starting to see like some people on both sides. Cause originally it was very powerlifting dominant. Now there's like starting to be like that nice the hybrid. blend. Yeah. Which is, that was the goal. So, I mean, that's the name of your exactly. business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the whole idea behind the brand, but yeah, yeah, it's been cool. Um, it's funny. Like if you were to open a powerlifting gym probably 10 years ago, uh, you probably would have been open for like two months. Yeah. Cause it was just a dead sport. Yep. And then, uh, I guess in like 2012, 13, 14, like that, those three years, all of a sudden the raw lifting just exploded. Cause yeah. prior to then, if, if you were a powerlifter, you didn't really lift raw, yep. you know, for USAPL, it was single ply and you know, for all the other federations, it was multiply. There wasn't a ton of raw stuff. And then, uh, you know, it just exploded then. And, and I feel like you caught it at the right curve. Yeah. And I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. No, yeah, it's been booming. Um, that was kind of, yeah, when I, because when I first started training, this is like 08, powerlifting was like, I just remember like seeing like big tattooed biker looking dudes yeah, yeah, and like yeah. weird, out, you know, weird singlets like that seemed too tight. And then as years went on, you know, it started becoming like a little bit more popular where people were just like lifting heavy, but without the gear. And that's when like, I was like, oh, okay. Like, cause that, you're already like trying to lift heavy anyway, even if you're like bodybuilding, like everyone wants to lift heavy. Yeah. But yeah, I think like 12, 13 is when I started like seeing like powerlifting uh, transition. Yeah. To like more raw. And that's 100% like when it started booming. Once, once people felt like they could do it in any gym and like they could do it on their own. Cause like most people are looking at the equipment these guys are in like never even seen it before so yeah. you you know it just doesn't really catch your interest so yeah i think 12 13 is when i started getting into it. i think i was like in the military at that time i was in like pensacola florida um they had a base on like or they had a gym on base it was all like marines because it was pensacola was like navy base marines so i was just in there and like a lot of those guys were like lifting heavy so that's what like got me into like you know i didn't even like deadlift until then I like trained for five years before I like really deadlifted. So it's funny how that works. It's like my best lift now, but yeah. And then, uh, cause 2015 was the first nationals I did. So that was the year that I really got into powerlifting. I did like four meets. I just started like jumping in every meet. And then like, I feel like ever since then, it's just been booming every yeah. year is bigger, more but people doing it. I think people are starting to look back too. And, you know, they look back at the old school bo uh, bodybuilders and they're like, wow, these guys did powerlifting meets. And, they, oh, yeah. you know, they, they trained kind of like powerlifters. Yeah. So maybe there's some type of hybrid there that people are missing because they, they tended to, uh, you know, separate the two things too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think if you, like, watch uh, Pumping Iron and stuff like that, man, like, they're in there squatting heavy, like, obviously doing a little bit more reps, but, like, benching heavy. If you, like, look into, like, Arnold's training, like, he used to do, like, you know, heavy, heavy bench. Like, I think he benched, like, 500 pounds, like, and he had, uh, what's his name? The little dude. 
Columbo. Columbo. Yeah, he was a f- monster, like yeah. strong man, powerlifter, like everything. And yeah, if you look at those guys, like how they're built, you see some of these like newer powerlifters, like they kind of have that like classic bodybuilder look, and they're strong as hell. Yeah. So, and then I think that's also one of the big reasons for the popularity, like people, younger kids seeing like, oh, I can be jacked and strong. So that along with like females getting in and then now it's just like out of control. It's just, there's as many females competing at meets as there is males almost. So that's what I was going to say. I feel like if you're a female figure competitor, especially if it's natural, yep, the best thing you could do is probably powerlift. Yeah. Because it builds all the right muscles for them to compete in figure. Yeah. Yeah. You see a lot of them kind of transition too and they do really well. Yeah. Whether it's like one or the other. So yeah. Makes sense. And it's, again, I think it's also just like being able to do it. You Like anyone can do it now. You don't need like four guys to help you into a suit. So yeah, it's just more accessible. And yeah, I, I don't know. I don't see it slowing down. Cause I remember a few years ago, there's like, yeah, people are like, it's going to like, kind of like slow up. It hasn't not even close. No, so. I remember, uh, I guess it was Raw National. It might have been 2015. Is that the one that was in Scranton? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the biggest one of all time. It was a like thousand 11, people or something. I think it was 1,100 people. Yeah. And they had the three platforms. Yep. Uh, Ray was there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This is the first. Yeah, that was like my first like big meet. Like I had, I was like looking around at like guys I was following on Instagram at that point. It was like yeah. Bryce Lewis and Garrett Blevins. Um, there was a few other guys. I was like, oh, that's them. Uh, Jesse Norris was like kind of like yeah. on the come up, like yeah. freak of nature. He was there, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 He, I, th- uh, I think Lane Norton was there too. Lane was there. Yeah, that was like I think Jesse Jesse won. I think right. Like even though he got kind of I think he bunch did. of like weird calls, but or no, and then that's right. That was the year he like tested for the craze, the pre workout. I think. I think it was. So then Lane ended up going to Worlds anyway. <laughs> He's a madman. But we sound like old men. I know. No, it's crazy when I like talk to somebody who's like been in it a while. I'm like, damn, I've been in this a little while now. Like 2015. I think back to like some of the people that were even there and I'm like, most of them aren't around. Like Bryce is still around. Garrett's, I think still around. I don't know what he's doing. Bryce, the the TSA guy. Yeah. 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 Joey, uh, Franzo, Joey flex. Yeah. He was one of the guys I remember like talking to way back in the day, like on Instagram, like he's like an Instagram buddy. We both were on, like, kind of the come up at the same time. Like, his stuff's exploded. Yeah. He's been killing it. So, yeah, it's wild now. But. Have you ever trained in any gear? We talked about No, I I honestly just, like, never. I don't know. I was never into the idea of, like, using something that helped me do something I couldn't do without it. Yeah. Like, belt, wrist wraps, knee sleeves are, like, one thing. But once you start doing, like, wraps and. I I wouldn't even try getting in a suit. Just seeing other guys struggle, I'm like, I don't want to do that. But you know, to each their own. Um, I have nothing against it. Like we had some people in the gym that were doing it. Looks interesting. It just honestly looks like too much work. Like I just, I like throwing knee sleeves on, belt. Let's go. Like I uh, I got conned into it. So I wanted to join the powerlifting team, yeah. and in order to compete, you there wasn't a raw, so it had to be single ply. I'm like, well, I'm kind of competitive, so I want to compete. Hmm. So I went from like 193 pounds, like real lean. Like I looked good. Like uh, like I was doing mostly bodybuilding training. And then I started, you know, the gear lifting. And it would take me two hours to get in one squat. Yeah. You know, and then my body composition started to change. I got fatter. Uh, you know, and it, you just go down that vicious rabbit hole. 
And uh, although I enjoyed the competitive aspect of it, my biggest regret is actually ever going into gear. Uh, I just feel like it was a lot of wasted time, and yeah. it didn't fully translate to raw movements. You know, I squatted 700 pounds in single ply at 198 pounds, and uh, I wasn't that a very good raw squatter yeah. at all. So Yeah, it's I don't see it translate quite as much. There is a few guys, um, but yeah, I, I, it doesn't seem to transfer. Like, I don't know, some people are like, oh, I'm going to get used to handling this heavy weight. Maybe I don't know. Like, there's only, the only one guy I can think of is uh, and he's like a lighter lifter. The Charles, Charles Apaku. I don't know. He's a USAPL kid. He like crushed it in like single ply for years and years, and then came over to Raw. And I don't know if he won Raw Nationals his first year, or maybe it was like right there, which was pretty yeah. impressive because like everyone's like, oh, let's see how he does. And I know he did well, but that's like the only guy I could think of that really transitioned well. The, the yeah. only argument that I, I like for it is uh, Donnie Thompson often argues that if you squat in briefs, it'll probably save your hips for the long run. Yeah. And and you and I haven't been doing it for 30 years, yeah. right? So we don't know what our hips are going to look like, you know, by then. And, uh, you know, so I, I respect his, his argument there. Oh, yeah. Um, but outside of that, like bench shirts, I think are useless. I hate them. I feel like it changes everything. You know what I mean? It's just – it's just different. Yeah. Yeah, it's just they're so they're so different in my opinion. I don't know. But I haven't tried it enough to really speak on it too much. That's why I just, you know. Do you use like uh slingshots at all? Yeah, I will mess around with them. Like I definitely think there's a benefit to having, you know, that overload aspect and uh just handling heavier weight. Because I feel like with the slingshot you can still stay in the same like movement pattern like it changes it a little bit but once you get kind of the hang of it you can and if you're not going i also only use like the first like levels of the slingshot i don't even really mess around we have like the black one which is like it feels like you can bench the world in it but like i usually only use like the blue or the red i think they give you maybe like 10 to 20 percent between them i don't know and uh, it feels like somewhat natural still yeah i do like using them here and there you don't think it's weird that you'll use a slingshot but not knee wraps well i see i I, i've honestly like knee wraps i've i've wanted to maybe like experiment with because again like the overloading factor and it's not changing as much um i think it's just one of those things i just like never i was never like really around like the right group to like have them like show me how to wrap like the right way because i know there's like little technique to it and yeah, it just never kind of happened, but I wouldn't be, like, opposed to trying it. Because I do know I've had some guys that have done knee wraps. Like, they were raw, raw, like, sleeves. Then they went knee wraps for a while, went back to sleeves, and their their sleeve squat was significantly better. Yeah. So I think there is definitely a transfer there just from handling, like, heavier loads. But, yeah, I've never – I don't know. I've always found um, – so when I, when I squatted in wraps, I could squat 600 pounds. And then with the full suit, I got another 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I always found that wrapping a knee, it's not really like the spring effect that helped me, but it would uh, block my knees from traveling forwards, and I was hmm. able to load the posterior chain better. Yeah. And that's it feels completely different because you, you can actually feel everything loading up uh, so much more. And then you can you can kind of memorize that feeling. So when you squat raw, you can try to mimic it. Hmm. So. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Yeah, it is interesting. I don't know. I'd have to I had to give it a shot at some point. It's worth it. Yeah. Especially like a two meter wrap, you know, where you're not dealing with the you know, the three meter yeah. and all that crazy stuff that the multiply guys use. Yeah. You know, use something simple that the USAPL Yeah. Yeah. I just like to feel kind of the difference really. Just to get a feel just for like personal experience. But yeah, I just never really had the opportunity. Yeah. Have to try it. So you, you competed, I guess, lifetime in USAPL? First two meets were RPS. Okay. Just didn't really know any better. They yeah. were like in Lancaster, I was in Reading, so I'm like, yeah, let's do these. Uh, I think I seen somebody in the gym wearing an RPS shirt, so I like looked it up. I ended up signing up for like my first two. I did them literally like six, eight weeks apart. Then realized, oh wait, like USAPL has this big meet coming up, so I had to jump in a USAPL meet like four weeks after that. So, and that was like the last chance qualifier, and then the Raw Nationals was like five weeks after that. So I did like four meets in like a four month span it was the stupidest thing ever didn't know any better though and then after that it was all usapl yeah was there i mean i like the usapl yeah a lot of people hate the usapl yeah i uh, i like the standards of it i like the standards of the equipment i mm -hmm. like the fact that when you go into a meet yeah you, know, you may know the judges but they don't really care about no, you no they definitely not don't. that second that you're on the platform definitely uh, not <laughs> um but you you do USPA meets now, right? You I, I haven't competed USPA. The gyms had a USPA meet there. Um, a lot of the lifters in the gym are US. They're actually it's probably split USAPL USPA. I feel like maybe they're leaning a little bit more USPA now because we just had one there. Yeah. But what no, was, and I'm I'm a fan like USAPL. Like I, th I've had a lot of experiences where I like leave kind of like a little bit with a bad taste in my mouth just because like sometimes i don't know i feel like they just do some weird things sometimes that seem unnecessary just like i don't know a lifter's going out and it's like his wrist wrap is like a quarter inch too high it's like just tell him after his like opener and then he'll fix it for the next one like it's not gonna affect his squat at all you yeah. know what i mean it's like come on and then just, like, certain times, it's like, I mean, I've seen some, like, lifters get robbed. Like, I make sure every time a lifter goes up, like, I sit next to the judge, at, like, pretty much at their eye level. And some of them I've seen just get robbed. I mean, like, they buried a squat, and it's just, I, I don't know what it is sometimes. It's just, you know, and it's, like, human error. And for the most part, though, I, I'm the same way. Like, I like that they have, like, the stricter standards. For the most part, you know what you're walking into on meet day regardless of who the judges are yeah so i do i do like that and i would rather there be like stricter standards and more lenient standards like again rps you you watch an rps meet man it's all over the place like not to bash them it's great that they run like all the meets that they do but like the standards are up and down it just is what it is and then you know uspa from what i found so far because at first i didn't have a lot of experience there a lot of my lifters were usapl so going into the USPA meets, I've just been really impressed, like coaching and handling. And then, um, you know, even seeing like they just had their tested nationals and like considering circumstances right now, like I was just impressed that for one, they had it. Yeah. And then it ran pretty damn smooth. Like it was a, you know, two platforms. They had like the warm up areas separated, which was nice. Like it was just, it, it ran really well from like seeing how the USAPL does it and then how the USPA. Like I was pretty impressed because like it didn't look like the USPA had like 
a huge group of people helping. I'm sure they were like somewhat short staffed with everything going on. And like they pulled off a really like smooth national level meet. So yeah, I just, I only have like good things to say about USPA as of now. So I, I did know. my first meet in November, Yeah, uh, this past November with them. And uh, it was my first meet in like four years or something. I was just doing it because the, the guys I was coaching were, uh, they were doing it. Yeah. Like, oh, I'll just jump in with you guys. And uh, I think his name was Adam Furchin that ran it. Mm -hmm. The same guy that ran the one that, yeah. He, um, he was there, I think. But um, he's like the New York, I think, state rep, and like I think so. I think he's like just the Northeast guy now. Yeah, this was in North Jersey. Um, the meet was long; it was a single platform meet. Um, but outside of that, I thought everything was awesome. Yeah. And uh, I, at the end of the day, you know, it's almost the same equipment as the USAPL, mm -hmm. but you get the deadlift bar and the squat bar. Yeah. And uh, you know, those two things just make a world of difference, especially yeah. for a guy like me that's short. And when I'm over 200 pounds, my hands get real like fluffy. Yeah. Like I can't grab a stiff bar as well. Yeah. And uh, it just, it makes a world of difference for my deadlift. No. Yeah. I agree. That's why I've been having fun with, uh, you know, the squat bar. It definitely feels a little different. I don't know if there's really like a huge benefit to it. it I don't know. I know some guys like it more, some less. I know girls tend to, I think, like, they're not really the biggest fans. It's kind of awkward for them. matters where you place it. Yeah. Like, if it's high bar, it feels better. Yeah. If you try to low bar with the squat bar, I feel like it doesn't feel as good. It definitely doesn't seem like it's, like, sinking in quite how you want it. And I'm, again, I've only been using it for, like, the last couple of months. I have had it roll a little bit on me. But I think that'll improve as you get, you know, more comfortable with it. The deadlift bar, though, is fun. Like, I, I've messed with one every once in a while back in the day just of, like, see what i can pull it's an ego thing yeah. yeah but yeah it's been good like getting used to actually like because it's different power bar to a deadlift bar when you're deadlifting like there's definitely a difference you got to almost learn how to use the deadlift bar to make it an advantage i think everyone thinks you're just going to pull with it and you're going to be like you're going to hit more weight not not always the case when i first went to the deadlift bar like i felt off like it felt weird i was like the whip was like killing me halfway up and yeah i was almost like feeling worse but once you get the hang of it, definitely, I think, a little bit of an advantage. So, yeah, I, I do like that aspect to it. Um, biggest thing, too, is, like, USAPL, the one thing you count on is, like, consistency as far as, like, equipment and stuff like that. I feel like USPA, they've done a good job, at least with my experience. Like, you show up, and it's, like, you know it's going to be, like, combo racks, like, you know, the right bars, where it's like, I don't know, sometimes, like, you don't know, like, the other federations, like, you don't even know what you're walking into. Like, you see them in a power rack sometimes. Like, yeah, it's the strangest thing. So, and I think, like, having consistency across the board is, like, helpful just for the sport in general. That, like, makes it, I don't know, more, like, I think mainstream if people know what they're yeah. looking at. You and know you what I mean? you feel comfortable traveling for meets if you know yeah. you're going to get the same equipment everywhere you go. Exactly. The same opportunity. Yep. We had... um brian reed on the one we just released and he owns vip if you've heard of that i think gym. i've heard of it yeah, it's yeah. more of a like a like they're west side certified they have three monoliths up there yeah. you know that's their you know they're multiply mostly um but he was talking about how uh he did an rps meet and he was warming up with like a really good bar and he felt good and he went over to the competition bar on his first attempt and his hands kept slipping because yeah. it was a completely different bar and uh he ended up so he was doing hook grip uh, for his first two attempts. And for his third, he realized, like, he couldn't hold it, so he had to go mix grip, and uh, he tore his bicep. Damn. And that was the result because he didn't train mix grip. He trained hook grip. But because of the bar differences, that's what he had to do. Yeah. So that's a, that's a tough situation. Oh, yeah. 
I could see tough. being upset with the Fed because of that. 100%. Yeah, and it's like a real factor. It's like, you know, sometimes I feel like some powerlifters are like a little bit dramatic with like bars and stuff like that. But in like a case like that, it actually is a huge, yeah, it's a huge variable. I mean, if the guy went hook, he's walking out of there just fine. So, yeah, but for the most part, there's no reason why. You know, if you're four or five hundred pound squatter, you can't four or five hundred pound squat with any bar. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I, I think for deadlift, that's like really the big one. You know, squatting. You know, you might prefer one thing, but the bar is going on your back, and you got to squat it. And if you if you're not bringing it in tight enough, like you know, the, the biggest difference is the, you know, some of the rope bars like they don't have the center knurling, mm-hmm. uh, so they're a little bit tougher to squat with if yeah. you're squatting low bar. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like if you're not locking it in that tight, like that's kind of on you. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. That's got to be kind of on the lifter. But, yeah, consistency always makes things a little easier. But you got to do what you got to do sometimes. So let's uh, dig into some of the training and stuff that you're doing. Um, you know, your whole concept is PowerBold. Uh, we have two of your programs on our app now. So yeah. people can kind of give it a test run and see if they like it. And when I was inputting in all the programs, um, you know, it kind of had like a – on the volume side of things, it kind of had like a five three one vibe to it, mm-hmm. where you're doing a lot of accessory movements. Yeah, um, you're doing a lot of the same accessory movements, for, you know, uh, for four week blocks, and yep. then you're kind of rotating through. I mean, that's kind of a, a bodybuilding concept. Yeah. And uh, so, how did you come up with this? How did you put everything together? So, definitely coming from like the bodybuilding kind of start. Um, that's always just like. I haven't been able to get away from that because it's just I enjoy that aspect to it. And then I also feel like, you know, having a lot of the accessory movements, if I'm doing accessories and I'm like making sure I'm not squatting my eight sets and then like leaving, I always feel so much better by doing like those accessory movements. I just feel so much better health wise and just even recovery wise. Like if I do the accessory movements the next day, I actually feel better than if I'm just squatting and leaving so with the primary movements, it's always been like, I kind of do like a DUP style. So the rep ranges are varying every week, almost like if one week squats are eights and bench is fives and deadlift is threes, the next week I'll kind of alternate those again. And then the next week again. So the accessory movements, yeah, they, they typically stay the same throughout the block. Um, usually each day there's like a secondary um, movement to the primary. So if it's like main squat day, we're doing a variation of the deadlift on bench, you know, it's probably competition bench and then a variation of the bench on deadlift day. You're going to do your, you're going to probably do a variation of the squat before the deadlift. That's just to, again, kind of get used to squatting and deadlifting on the same day. And that's kind of, I believe how those programs are set up that I sent you guys. And then again, like the heavier accessory work, I just feel like a lot of powerlifters, they focus too much on squat bench and deadlift to the point where they just, they get beat up too quick. You know what I mean? Like longevity and powerlifting is the biggest thing. I feel like if you look at like some of the strongest people, it's because they've been training the longest. So surviving is like one of the biggest um, elements to like my programming. And that's also why you'll see like a mix between like RPE and percentages. I did notice that. Yeah. So I like to, if you're doing something like heavy, the top sets, I want you to actually feel you know, or take into consideration how you're feeling on that day and pick the weight accordingly. On the back downs, I try and be a little bit more conservative with the percentages, but I like to give somebody a number. That way they can almost stick to it and get the quality reps in there. So like that's where you're like really practicing and refining the movement. 
So, yeah, it's just been like a trial and error over the years. And now I've pretty much kind of dialed in like the method and seems to work. Some of the uh, some of the guys that uh, look like they lift at your gym, they're like top level guys. I think the one guy's yeah. name's like Dwayne. Dwayne. Yeah, we have so we have there's Dimitri. He's really strong. Uh, there's Debo. That guy. Debo. Yeah. Duardley is his Duardley. Uh, exactly. first name. Yeah. yeah. So he's yeah he's a national champ from last year at um, the juniors and 93s, and like that's a tough tough weight class i mean it was like literally down to like three guys and like pretty much he pulled his last deadlift and won it and it was based on weight like i put in the number to make sure he was hitting the same total as the other guys but he weighed in lighter so he took home gold um super strong kid he we've been working together now like a couple years but he's just like he's one of those kids just natural ability and then we just you know with some refining He's yeah. just, you know, went to the top pretty much. So and he looks great too. Like he, he looks. The he's, part. he's a bodybuilder, really. Yeah. I mean, if you look at him, you're like, that dude could jump on stage right now yeah. at any time. So he's a freak. But yeah, we have a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of lifters that are like top level now. A um, lot of, lot of competitive lifters, and a lot of them are like very strong. Like we just had at that tested USPA nationals. Like the first day was wild. Like it was like mostly the females three of them won their weight class like the whole thing and then the one also took home um you know second in open she's a master she won first and in the, in the open she took home second so and a few others like were top 10 yeah pretty wild how do you program for them versus like the some of the templates that you have are they different um, or are they following them? same style it's just usually like where it's like the, a lot the variables that really change for me are like the volume, frequency. Um, I th- for the, for the programs I sent you, I kind of focus on maybe like an intermediate level lifter. Yeah. Whereas like some of them, especially if they're female, the volume's probably up. Frequency might be up. Like if they're, you know, intermediate, maybe somebody's squatting twice, benching two or three times, and then deadlifting once or twice. For like a, a advanced like female or a lower weight class lifter, I'd probably have them squatting three times, benching maybe four times, and then deadlifting twice. So, are you writing like custom programs for each person? Yeah, each, so everything's specific to that. Yeah, for if it's like a one-on-one client, everything's individualized. Okay. You know, what I mean, from like obviously the frequency and volume, obviously the you know variations that they're using. You know, what I mean focusing on like weaknesses addressing it a lot of times with like whatever bench variation they might need or deadlift variation the accessory work like some people like you know i have them do back four times a week because like i just i know that they need to do that so yeah once you get into the one-on-one aspect everything's pretty much individualized but it's the same methods so a lot of it's just like tweaking some of the numbers changing out some of the accessories okay so it's just more specific to their body type to how they recover 100 percent, yeah recovery is a big thing um just how much weight you know what i mean they're handling like somebody like debo try and manage his like volume and frequency because one squat day takes a full week to recover from yeah so yeah all that matters a lot staying healthy that's again i'm, I'm almost just trying to somebody like him is is like holding him back so he doesn't get yeah. hurt, you know what I mean? It's tough because he's just so strong. Yeah. So. And sometimes you feel like if you don't uh, 
put everything into your top lift for the day yeah that you're not doing anything to progress yeah and i feel like that's a, a tough thing to manage oh yeah that's the hardest thing i think it's like kind of the auto regulating of your own training you know what i mean it's that's where like having a coach comes in you know i mean like i'll have a lot of my people they send me their lifts daily and it's like i can give them feedback which i think helps because sometimes if you're just like out there on your own you're always doing a little too much yeah. it's so hard not to like i i i'm, I'm telling you all, like all these things that i tell other people and i still make those mistakes yeah. so it's tough that's for sure when uh when you take like an intermediate lifter like you you have a really good natty bench press right yeah i think you just pressed what 463 463 yeah. yeah uh i mean that's that's phenomenal uh when you take like an intermediate lifter and somebody who wants to build their their bench press let's say they bench you know 315 that's mm -hmm. a kind of landmark you know, what do you, what's important for them to do to hit the next like two milestones at 365 and 405? I think bench frequency is always big up for me. Like I have my people bench quite a bit. It's just, I don't go crazy every day with the volume, like maybe three sets okay. on all of those days. And over the course of the week, I mean, you have quite a bit of volume. So, um, I think that helps a lot. That's what I noticed. Like a lot of my people, like even after one block, their bench tends to be like the one that really responds just from like the frequency and the volume. So, um, that's a big thing. And then also the accessory work that I've like put emphasis on with bench. Like, I think a lot of people neglect back with bench, like on all my bench days. And I think with your programs, I'm sure I added like a few back accessories on bench day. Yeah. I think it's so important. Like if you have a strong back, your bench is going to respond. So, you know, most people are just like, oh, chest, they just fucking hammer chest, flies, all these things. Like, yeah, I do those too, but I almost like do the chest accessory work just for more so like health. Like flies just like get a stretch from like all the pressing. Like I don't really like overload like flies. Like It's literally like the last thing I do and I do it just to like get a little stretch on the chest. Yeah. Um, back is like one of the things I focus on the most, like shoulders. I mean, if you go into a meet and you look around and you just see everybody's back, you can almost see who's going to bench the most Yeah, just by that. 100%. And, like, that's one of the things I figured out. I'd always – I'd be at meets when I was younger and I'd see these dudes, these freaking Ninja Turtle shells. <laughs> and I'd be like, all right, so I got to get my back bigger. And then, obviously, like, with that, you know, your, your deadlift improves, your squat improves. Like, the bar's going on your back on a squat. If you have a strong back, you're going to have a stronger squat. Like – Especially for somebody like me, I'm like taller, longer femurs. Like, there's no way around it. Like, I'm gonna be more forward on a squat. Like, I'm gonna good morning my squat. Like, do that or you gotta get up to 300. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, you know, having a strong back has allowed me to even get my squat to where it's at. Which, like, my squat isn't by no means my best lift, but you know, it's it's improved. So, yeah, the accessory work, man, is definitely. Again, and I see a lot of like the younger lifters in the gym now that I don't work with. They're just members, but they come in and they're strong. So like what they're doing is not like it's not working, but I see them just squatting for like an hour and a half straight. And then maybe they go and deadlift a little bit and like that's it. So it's just it's so specific. And I think some of them it, it's worked in the beginning because, uh, you know, the specificity is going to help. But then those are the same guys that end up getting a little bit banged up early, you know, and then a lot of times like you can see them just drop off. You know what I mean? It takes like one setback. That's like a couple months and like you're demoralized and like 
you you just give up. I've had it happen. Like people sign up with me for like a year, they have one setback and they're just like mentally they're done. So I think the accessory work just, you know, besides keeping you healthy, it's also just like a little change of pace during the training session. It allows you to, you know, get some hypertrophy in. Like a lot of these kids you see, they're like super strong. You're like, man, you look like a stick figure. It's just like they're so specific right now. But yeah. like I'm like, if you add some muscle mass, man, like then you're going to be even at another level. So it continues to like bring that ceiling up as well. That's another thing I like forgot to mention with like with my training is like I'm always trying to like increase the ceiling of the lifter. So that way they're not just like topping out on where they're at, you know, and then I think that leads to more injuries as well. So two big variables. Do you use a uh, repping reserve at all? Or you strictly use sometimes RPE? just to help explain like yeah. the programming to people. Cause like RPE can be such a difficult thing sometimes early on to like get it, yeah. get it across. Like I was just having this conversation with a member the other day. I literally have like a note in my phone. I copy and paste. I'm just like, I'm going to send you this, read it. It's a pretty good breakdown. But how I explain it is like almost reps in reserve. Like if they're doing RPA, I'm like, make sure you have like two reps in the tank ish. You know what I mean? And obviously that changes from rep work to like singles. And that's where I think it really gets confusing with people. It does. So it's one of those things I always just like, I'm like, let's just get started. Do your best. I'll help you when you when you send me your RP8 and it's a full 10, I'm going to just say, hey, this is a 10. You know what I mean? And usually by like them feeling it, them rating it, and then me rating it, they'll they'll, they'll get, a, you know, the hang of it after like a block, block or two. So do you have like a coaching app where they can, where they send you stuff or do you do it? I, I do it pretty much all text and okay. email. Just, I know there's like some apps out now. I don't know. I'm just like, now I'm just like stuck in my way. So yeah. It just, I don't know, I haven't really looked into it to that extent. But for the most part, I just like them to text me because then I just see it coming through. It allows me to respond to them quicker. Even, like, email. The only time I have people email is if they're probably Droid users because, like, the quality and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's what works. users. <laughs> I know. They got to ruin everything, man. Uh, all right, so let's dive into the deadlift. Um, if somebody wants to build their deadlift, like, what's your – like you got to do this type stuff. Yeah, I think deadlift I, and this is like of late cuz originally you know, I mean again, depends on the level. I hate giving the answer of like depends on like you know, how long you've been doing it and stuff like that. They're like generic answers, but it really does. Like early on, if you if you're like novice to intermediate, you could probably get away with some decent volume. Um, you know, maybe one main deadlift day, have like another variation day, see how that works. Um, but after, after you get into like, maybe like the 600 plus range, almost one dead, like one heavy deadlift day every two weeks is what I'd honestly recommend. The other day should probably be like intermediate, like, uh, volume and intensity, maybe like three sets of five, you know, four sets of four on deadlifts. Yeah. Um, but like keep the intensity, you know, moderate quality reps and accessory work. Like. Um, you know, rows, pull downs, pull ups, like build your back up to be super strong. Um, and then I, I also like, like hamstrings, um, you know, just legs in general, a lot of the accessory work again, because like with deadlift, I feel like if you're healthy, it's going to almost like it's going to improve, you know, even with like having the one main deadlift day a week where maybe you like have a heavy 
you know, top set or two and then a couple lighter back downs. Like that's always my thing is I, I do like a couple heavy sets, one or two, and then some back downs. And I've actually been doing a lot of the back downs like variation. So deficits, pauses, because it allows you to use a, like a lower load, but it's almost matches the same intensity that you would with heavier weight. Right. So I'm always, it's always trying to, you know, it's not like it's making it easier, but it's, it's maybe a little easier on your body, but you're still putting in like the same intensity. So I think the, the response is the same. And that's the same with like even squatting. I've realized like doing pause reps or maybe a tempo allows me to use less weight, but I'm still like getting stronger to the point if I was using a heavier load on a competition squat. See what I mean? It's just like the less tonnage or whatever you want to call it. So I think your body responds better because it's not like getting beat down. And that's like what I've, with my deadlift, like I was stuck. Like I was 700 pound puller for like a year, year and a half, maybe two years. Like I was right around the seven, seven, eleven mark. And then I dropped down like frequency quite a bit to like one heavy deadlift day every two weeks. And then it went up to 740 within like two, three months. Yeah. So it, it's almost less is more. Now there's also like variables such as like how I'm built a little bit longer. The bar is moving a little bit further. Like I low bar squat, your back's going to be more taxed with that. So there's so many things. It's probably just figuring out like the appropriate, you know, frequency and volume most of the time. And then some of the variations that can help those sticking points. Do you try to avoid those things in the same day, a low bar squat and a deadlift? Yeah, I'll never low bar squat and deadlift unless it's in a meat prep and we're like four weeks out yeah. and less. That's the only time I'll get like that specific. Actually, and it's I had a friend come in the other day and he he asked me to look at his lifts and he had low bar squatted and deadlifted in the same day. Yeah. And uh, I drew it out in like stick figure. And I was like, you see the difference in these movements? He goes, no. I was like, yeah, it's, that, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're doing the same thing with the different bar position. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and depending on, like, how much weight you're handling, like, that can wear on you. Like, the fatigue and recovery factor is usually, uh, you know, underestimated there. Again, especially depending on how much weight you're moving. So, like, even with me, like, squatting, like, you know, it fives or whatever, it may be up to six, like, low sixes. And in deadlifting, like, you know, sixes or more. That's just, I mean, I'm, I'm going to need two weeks probably to like feel good again and have a good, like strong, like squat and deadlift day if I'm going to do that. So I want to keep the frequency a little bit more consistent. So that's why if I'm low bar squatting, I'm doing probably a deadlift variation, like maybe even like RDLs or, um, maybe like a block pull or something like that. Whereas if I'm deadlifting, I'll squat, but it's going to probably be high bar, maybe even a belt squat, safety squat bar something that's not quite as taxing on my back so that right. way I can deadlift. So yeah, that's where I think the whole programming comes in. Like, you know, there's so many variables and like knowing how to manipulate those and like to make it optimal for you, you know what I mean? Cause it is so individual, but the same basic principles can be applied to just about everyone. What are your, uh, like telltale signs of needing to regulate yourself? Bar speed. That's probably like one of the biggest things you can usually tell like movement pattern, bar speed. Like you'll notice like somebody on a squat, they're like maybe on the eccentric, they're like shaking a little bit. 
usually you're probably not fully recovered. Something's up, something's tight. Muscles are like hyper contracted from a day, like something like, um, and then just like bar speed, obviously, like if if you don't see that same pop that you're used to and, and usually you can tell even like, that's why I have all my clients send me like their top sets, but I also have them send me like a last working set just to kind of see bar speed and movement pattern. that can usually just by watching the videos without any feedback from them, I'll know kind of how they're feeling. So you don't use the, uh, like the bar speed app or anything. No, I've never used that. Some of my clients have it. They'll like send me the numbers. I'm like, I don't know what the hell that means. (laughs) I'm like, is that good? It doesn't look good, but no, I've never, I've never done that. Just kind of just by visual, but yeah, usually, usually those are the, the telltale signs. I mean, obviously like the, if the lifter gives you feedback, they're like a little bit achy. That's usually another, another one, but I can probably tell just based on how the bar moves if you are feeling that way. So let's say like I overshot my RPE on your Monday mm-hmm. and, uh, my next do squat day was probably what Thursday. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, what would you have, like, if that person knew it, right? And say, Hey, I'm still sore. They knew before their, you know, training session, mm-hmm. would you have them do extra mobility, extra stretching, extra warming up on like on a Wednesday? So that way they can still complete their session. Or would you yeah. try to push that session back another day? It depends. Um, extra warm ups would definitely be probably something that I would, I would, you know, have them do. But sometimes that's just not enough. It depends on like the lifter, like for instance, like a Debo, like some extra warming up. It's probably just not going to do it. He might just need the extra 24 hours or whatever it may be. So for somebody like him, we might swap days. You know, we, he might have like a bench accessory day kind of the following day. I'd be like, do that. Yeah. And then do the squat, the squat and the deadlifts maybe on the next day. So, you know, flip-flopping some days around can be an easy adjustment. But if somebody can, you know, get off with like, you know, some, maybe they go, go for a 10 minute walk beforehand, stretch a little bit longer, make sure you're fully warmed up, see how you feel. And then if you feel good enough, do it. Most of the time you'll probably still need to adjust maybe the intensity for that day. Right. Um, but that's again, why I like, like RPE so much is because like, it's already built in. It's like, right. go off of how you feel. So if you're still feeling Monday, adjust accordingly. Yeah. So getting them to do that's another story, but that's the goal. I, uh, I saw something on uh, Elite FTS's Instagram the other day, and uh, I think it was a, a Jim Wengler post, maybe, mm-hmm. like a quote from him. And uh, it, it, it basically asked if you're pro-science or pro-anecdotal evidence. Yeah. Where do you stand on that? Definitely anecdotal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because it's, it's just – I've done it all, so that's what I'm going off of. And I've, I've done it with other people, you know what I mean, like right. other lifters. So a lot of the times if I have a lifter, I can almost like kind of – Go back to somebody that I remember was similar to them in lifts, build, and, uh, you know, can make adjustments based on that. You know, I mean, like, obviously, like, science is like, it is what it is, but everyone's so individual. So I have a tough time with science. Too, yeah. Because uh, I feel like the science kind of reverse engineers yeah. and then says, this is why that happened. Um, but there's not enough reverse engineering happening to really be able to dictate how to do it Mm -hmm. you know and you can have two people that are built the exact same way and one person can be really good at at reps and one person can be really good at singles oh yeah like i I was a guy that could you know barely handle 405 but squat well into the 500s no problem 
Yeah. And it's just like singles were just kind of my thing for a long time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I feel like there's just too much going on to say, like, you know, to strictly go by data. I yeah. feel like you're going to hold back. It may work for the for the novices, right? Because just doing something is better yeah. than nothing. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to take somebody to an elite level, I just feel like it's just not going to work. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be individual. Cause it's just like you said, like you, you can like, you can have two people that are built the same and they just might be different as far as like their work capacity or like, you know, the type of muscle fiber they're made up of, you know what I mean? Like some people are just monsters with singles and they just can't handle volume. Like that's kind of how I am. I mean, I don't know. Like if you look at like some of my rep PRs on squat, like I probably shouldn't even be able to squat like into the sixes, but like I can, I, I don't know. Like even, even deadlift, like I don't really have like the crazy rep you know, PRs or anything like that. It's just, I could just kind of keep going up for a single. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's that, that's where, you know, yeah, the science is kind of like, well, who, who was, who's to say that that person is the same as whoever they're basing that data on. You know what I mean? It's, it's so individual. The mental fortitude too. Yeah. Some people just have like, I always like make the joke in the gyms. Like this dude's made of something different because like they can, grind you know their last warm-up or what was supposed to be their last warm-up and you know i'll be like oh like i might want to call it there and then the next one is smooth and better than the last and it's to bring up debo again he's one of those guys like i've said i've had him in the gym before i'm like eh, i'm like let's maybe just call it there and he's like oh, i don't know like i feel pretty good he's like next one will be better it's like all right and the next one is better. Like the next one moves. It, it shouldn't move how it moves, like based on the previous lift. Right. I don't know. Just he's just different. You know what I mean? Mentally, right. I don't know what he does or thinks about, but like he just has another level. And it's just it that's how it is for some people. It's I function wild. like that too, and I feel like I can actually explain it. Uh when you're warming up, like let's say let's say somebody's top squat is six hundred pounds, right? Mm-hmm. And their last warm up would be what, five fifty, five forty, somewhere in that range. If you've already squatted that, you don't respect it. Uh, yeah, that's and true. you're also not channeling your intensity towards that. Yeah. So you're just gonna let it ride because you know on your worst day, if it starts to slow down, you can push through if you really mm-hmm. need to. Yeah. So it's gonna look like shit. It's gonna move super slow. But that next one, I mean you're going balls out. Yeah. Like you're that's not, true. Your intensity is just so much different. Yeah, that is true. And it, yeah, actually, I say that to like a lot of my lifters too. Like even on meet days, like last warm up, I'm like, openers gonna move better, and it always does. Yeah. You know, ninety percent of the time it moves better. Yeah, that is true. I think yeah, you you kind of disrespect like the weight a little bit. You're like, yeah, I've done this a million times. Yeah. So yeah, that does make sense. I think that's I think that's what it is a lot of the time. Cool. All right, so uh, I think we'll kind of wrap it up there. If I know you're you're good on Instagram. Are you on like Twitter and that kind of stuff? Don't really mess with Twitter. I don't even know. I, I had an account like eight years ago, but yeah, just just Instagram for me. A little bit of YouTube here and there, but okay. I just like to keep it simple, man. Instagram's easiest in my opinion. Yeah, guys, uh, we do have free programs from Colin on our app, which is also free. Uh, so if you download that on iTunes or the Google Play Store, you can kind of dip into you know what he's doing over there at Powerbold. And uh, his gym is located in Conshohocken, yep. and uh, it's a, it's a cool gym. It's twenty four hour access, so give it a try. Cool. Appreciate it, man.